Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 13 years, I've been a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Sunday, August 4th, 2019, as I record this introduction. This week, I'm sharing some of the clairaudient phenomena I experience. Actually, it may not be clairaudient at all. It may just be audient, like the opposite of clear. It's a lot to process and categorize, and I thought I would attempt some of it because a lot of the premise behind the automatic intuition training process and the reason for the emphasis on the community around the program is the demystification of psychic abilities and experiences. I share my perceptions and concepts as a way for you to compare them to your own, embracing not only the ways in which you might recognize yourself in what I'm describing, but also the ways in which you're different. Talking about it can help others locate it within themselves. So, I hope you find some comfort and validation and information and entertainment in hearing about all the things I hear because I hear a lot of stuff we aren't supposed to hear, supposedly. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. If you're listening to this in real time within the month of August 2019, or after depending on how this experiment goes, I am beta testing new pricing tiers for the Automatic Intuition program. Over the years, some people have wanted to get started working professionally right away, and some want to work on business development on their own. And then there are others who need help with content marketing for their practice a little ways down the road, once they get their website together and start trying to promote themselves. Traditionally, Mentoring session number three has featured information about putting your intuitive skills out into the world as a business. You are supported in pricing of services, branding, advertising, website development, content marketing, and finding clients. But can the core of the intuitive practice be taught in just two mentoring sessions instead of three? Yes, it can be. It has been. And it could allow you to distribute the cost of the program if that's a concern for you. You could save $255 off the cost of the course at the time of this announcement. Now, you might be listening from the future, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here about exact pricing or how long these tiers might be available. For right now, I'd like to try it out with five interested emerging intuitives. So if you're one of them, contact me or go to automaticintuition.com, click on the course details tab, and scroll down to the bottom of the sales page for the exact current cost information. Before I forget, I want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters on Patreon, Michelle Darcy and Heather Hubbard. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support. It demonstrates that you're enjoying this show and you want it to continue. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show and access extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shift your spirits. Doing what the voices in your head tell you to. 
It's the number one disparaging joke you hear all the time that might sometimes be referring to phenomena we would categorize as clairaudience. So, har har. In a lot of cases, hearing voices is synonymous with the absolute deepest depths of mental illness. It was the one thing through my teens and my 20s that kept me from ever, ever acknowledging the psychic phenomena I experienced. I feared being committed against my will. I don't fear it so much lately, but it's still a fear that I could access if I needed to. Like, I could drag that out and be like, yeah, I remember what it feels like to worry about that, and I can see how I could put myself in a situation where everything could go horribly wrong. It's kind of more of a horror movie screenplay playing out in my mind than an actual real anxiety. But when I was younger, it was definitely a real fear. And then, growing up, there were all these movies about voices and craziness, and a lot of times they were about authors. There was a movie in 1990 called An Angel at My Table that was about the New Zealander poet um, Janet Frame, who was committed at the time that she won her country's highest literary honor. I Obviously, it's been like, you know, 30 years since I've seen that movie, but there are a few images that haunt me. Like, I remember them bringing her a volume of her work um, that had just been published in hardcover and wanting her to sign it, to autograph it, and she was heavily sedated in a mental ward and didn't really, you know, it wasn't even conscious of the fact that her book had just come out. And that was like the first time she held it. And it, you know, won the equivalent of like a Pulitzer or a Booker. And there's another scene where they put her in a padded cell and she literally writes poetry on the walls of the padded cell. That's how much she needed to get those words out. And then there was a movie Jessica Lange starred in in the 80s about Francis Farmer, who was famously lobotomized basically for being too willful and outspoken for a woman, like in the 1950s. She was sort of a political activist, I guess, or would have been by today's standards. Um, you know, nobody pay, plays crazy like Jessica Lang, by the way. So, I mean, it's a great performance. But, um, yeah, that feeds into all your horrors about being committed against your will and medicated, and then, you know, it all unravels, right? Um, you lose your agency. You literally lose your rights as an adult. Of course, Virginia Woolf, who's one of my hugest literary heroes in the whole world, who was famously so depressed for so long that she finally walked into the river with stones in her pockets. You know? God, I've been hearing that story since I was in junior high school. And it's been dramatized in a lot of different places and, and shared and reshared. And most recently, um, Nicole Kidman's performance in The Hours which is an incredible performance and a great movie. But again, all this stuff, you know, 
these people going nuts and um, especially writers. After I watched the movie Iris, which was Dame Judi Dench starred as Iris Murdoch, um, who lost the faculty for words. She um, was technically suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's, so it wasn't uh, craziness necessarily. But they did um, very distinctly dramatize the fact that this woman who was known for her phenomenal vocabulary literally lost her ability to access words slowly and was conscious that it was happening to her as an author. It's like the worst, you know, horror ever. I get it. It, you know, it's Sophie's choice. It's these um, amazingly emotionally uh, triggering dramatizations that happen in movies. But I just at that point was like, you know what? I'm never watching another movie about an author suffering from mental illness, addiction, alcoholism, nothing. Just forget it. Ever. Why are there so many of those? Anyway, um, there are too many. Um, but back to hearing voices. Conversing with them. Listening to what they say. Talking back to them. Asking them questions. I do it in my car all the time. You know, we stare at, at crazy people who do it in the streets that are homeless and obviously, you know, suffering maybe from schizophrenia or something like that. It's something that we've all witnessed. Um, and I doubt I look anything like that in my car. As a matter of fact, I think I probably look like I'm just talking on hands free. Um, but I am aware of the, the connection there, you know, like, it does always make me wonder, well, who are they talking to and what are they saying? Because it depends on which voices. They do seem to be arguing in their, in their combative situations going on. So that is not what we practice around here as far as accessing clairaudient intuition, channeling, automatic writing, you know, mediumship. All these things are not about screaming at invisible assailants. Um, hearing voices and doing what they tell you to do could be, you know, a really helpful thing. Again, depending on the voice, the still small voice within you that I think we all can find a conceptual space for in our consciousness. The voice of the spirit angels, spirit guides, the deceased, people who passed on, your ancestors, your conscience. You know, some of those are accessible by anyone. Some of them are deeply woo-woo. And none of them are crazy, by the way. None of those things are mental illness. And I honestly today don't fear that if I went to a therapist and spoke to them the way I'm speaking to you right now that I'd be committed. I think we'd have an understanding about the phenomenon that I'm talking about and I would have no problem placing this within a purely clinical context and talking about archetypes and programming and you know um, kind of the different channels of the mind and consciousness 
It doesn't have to be woo-woo for me. Or it can be, you know? Sometimes it depends on who I'm talking to. I'm not going to correct anyone who tells me that, you know, the message came from their guide or from one of their guardians or um, or someone who tells me, you know, it, it comes from a muse. Um, I never question how other people choose to label their voices, but I do like to offer the concept of labeling and categorizing and analyzing to everyone, and I offer my own little compartmentalizations for people to borrow and use starter kits if they're new to this. Then there are those external voices that become programmed as your own. Those are the really troublesome ones. They're just as insidious as invisible people who are following you and out to get you. Um, They're dangerous because there's something that you heard that you picked up from someone else and took on and have been accessing and repeating and um, on a loop, on an internal mental loop for so long that you probably have forgotten the original source. The voice itself has morphed over time to impersonate your own inner voices like the own, you know, your own internal voice of, of yourself. Um, negative, self-sabotaging, critical voices. Someone telling you about something about yourself that you chose to believe. And you may have chose to believe because you didn't know any better, or you were a child, or you were bullied, or you were afraid. There are a lot of different reasons why you would choose to take that on. But it is a choice, even if it was kind of forced on you. And it is something that you can get rid of later. If nothing else, you can learn to access and acknowledge, okay, wait a minute, where's that voice coming from? Who is that? That sounds like something my mother said to me a really long time ago. Oh yeah, I remember now where that came from. Therefore, when I hear that come up again, I can dismiss it. Like, no, not listening to you. I know who you are. Sit down and go shut up, (laughs) you know? Um, So there's all of that, right? Within the concepts of clairaudience and hearing voices. There's also a question of internal source versus external. Um, For the sake of separating what comes from within versus what comes from outside, I use a big box for the voices coming from within. To me, it's all a bit like being logged on onto some network of information. And it's different than the voices I might create. For instance, the notes I'm writing down here to speak to you from. The character dialogue in fiction. Although sometimes... Some of that is a little bit channeled in a way that overlaps. And, and many authors will have the experience of having books dictated to them or have fictional characters they invented take over on the page and run the story. And there's you know a spectrum of how that's viewed. A lot of creative people who don't view that as a psychic phenomenon nevertheless still view it as a magical creative experience and a lot of people will acknowledge that happening to them and simply think of it as a 
a profound mystery of the artistic process. I know Alice Walker famously said that a color purple, uh, the color purple was dictated to her. Like she heard that voice of that character and basically transcribed it. And I have that experience writing characters. Sometimes that's the initial impulse to write fiction to give an example of this internal versus external thing, um, so there's like a song you're humming this morning because it's been used on a commercial that you keep seeing on TV. Like, you know, T-Mobile or whatever has had this commercial on for a month and you've heard it every day and now you're singing it in the shower. That's external. You can identify where that came from. But then there are songs that come sort of untriggered, unbidden, they surface from the subconscious, like this silent Spotify within your brain, this Spotify radio station that's on shuffle, and it pulls things up, you know, that are stored in the mind. But it's still coming up internally. It's not triggered by something external like hearing it on the radio. You may have not heard it in years Actual real songs I'm talking about from artists who created and recorded them externally. Um, At some point, you have downloaded them. Maybe you burn that album out on repeat when it came out years ago, and um, you haven't heard it in a long time, but sometimes it might resurface, and one of those songs will come to you. I do read that experience as intuitive, just the same way that you read a feather on the ground or a a number on a license plate or on a digital display or finding a playing card on the ground and interpreting it as, you know, a tarot message, all those kinds of things. I read music that comes internally that way, especially snatches of lyrics, because You'll notice when this happens, when you get like an earwig, a song stuck in your head that came from nowhere. It's a particular snatch of lyrics that is looping. It's not the whole song from start to finish, intro to fade out. It's it's usually one or two parts that you keep looping over and over again. So one of the best things that you can do is either stop and like really speak those words outside the melody as if it is just a message written down on a piece of paper or actually write it down and see it in print. Um, They look different on paper. They sound different when they're spoken, not sung. And sometimes that will help you have an aha moment about what is that saying? Sometimes it's really literal. Like I keep saying this thing to myself over and over again and I didn't realize it's a message. Now, where it's a message from, you know, maybe it's your guides triggering it. Maybe it's your higher self pulling it out and waving it in front of you. Maybe it's um, some other kind of mechanism. Maybe you've been asking a question and it's your subconscious just kind of retrieving that from some internal library and presenting it as an answer. But it comes in the form of music. You know, music 
happens in a different part of the brain than spoken language and reading and you know all that kind of stuff and we we listen to a lot of music and we learn a lot of music by heart in a way that people used to, you know, learn and recite poetry. Like you watch those historical films and TV shows and there are people wandering around in the garden reading from a book of verse, you know, and they can recite this stuff off the top of their heads. And I always thought, damn. But I think the modern equivalent of that is me being able to bust out a Missy Elliott rap from 2004 you know at any given moment just because i've heard it a million times and it's stored in my brain right so it's kind of like that so the first thing that you want to do is just say hey you know what if this was a telegram is it a message and maybe the next thing you asked is what emotions come with that song what emotions are attached to it what feelings is it invoking or dragging with it? Maybe it's the context of when the song first entered your consciousness, like something about the time and place of your personal history, what was going on in your world when that song came out, that kind of thing. And so maybe the message isn't the song. Maybe the message is about you returning to something from that time period. Was there something going on then that you need to reconsider, pull back out, reconnect with? I remember as a kid or maybe a you know preteen or something overhearing adults talking about Barbara Streisand claiming that she hears music. And I don't know if this was being repeated anecdotally or if there'd been some, you know, 60 minutes interview or something had happened at that time that they were talking about it. I just remember overhearing it. And I understood that what they were saying was that she had made some claim that she hears music within, psychically, internally. And of course, even though she's a vocalist, she's not necessarily a composer, right? Like, I don't even know that she writes a lot of her music necessarily. I think she is primarily a vocalist, but um, but claims to hear music all the time. Now, I am neither a singer or a composer. But I remember when I overheard that, my first thought, because I heard the, the adults' wonder and the skepticism and how intrigued they were by the concept. And the, the judgments there were probably all varied and mixed. But I remember wanting to say, I hear music too. But I didn't. Because I feared what that might be admitting to. And at the time, you have to remember, for years as a teenager, you're hearing things like this, and thinking, oh shit, what if I'm insane? <laughs> like, What if these are the early stages of what we see with the person arguing with the invisible assailant on the street? It's kind of not unlike being gay. It's a psychic closet. As a really, really young child... I would get up late at night and I would go and find my daddy because he usually stayed up later than anyone else watching TV. 
Um, he's a famous insomniac. And I would go and find him and tell him that I couldn't turn my brain off. It was like somebody left a TV and a radio station on in a crowded airport terminal. There, I was just laying there listening to everything. And I think a lot of that was probably partly anxiety, for sure. But I would cry just totally frustrated and say, I can't stop thinking. I can't stop thinking. I really felt like, as a child, when you were told, okay, it's time to go to sleep, go to bed, turn out the light, go to sleep, that you should be able to willfully choose to be unconscious, to just turn yourself off. And remember, I'm not a big dreamer. So it wasn't about even dreaming for me. Like dreaming probably would have been a little bit too close to what I was already experiencing. So I just wanted to be shut down like a artificial intelligence being, you know, put to sleep and then restarted in the morning. That's what I wanted. And I couldn't have that. And it drove me nuts. I was thinking about all this because my nephew, who's two and a half, has these kind of night terrors where he's just completely inconsolable. And I definitely think that that is anxiety. And so I was talking to my mother and my dad at my 50th birthday dinner, which was actually the night after my birthday because my nephew and my brother were here on my birthday. And the next night I went out just with my parents and my stepmother and that sort of started the conversation about this anxiety experiences kids. And, um, I brought up to my dad, you know, reminding him about how I was when I was little, how that manifested for me as this information that wouldn't turn off. Of course, you know, everyone has thoughts that keep them up at night. But I bet most of those worries are about their actual lives, their identifiable triggers. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their job. They're worried about bills, their bank account, that kind of stuff. And then there is anxiety about existential stuff. You know, the world is going to hell. Anxiety about death. What happens when we die? The end of the earth. Global extinction events. The very actual reality that one day the sun will swallow the entire system of planets around this part of the universe. You know, like stuff like that. That's probably still all anxiety, by the way. Um, and it's it's part of the human condition to worry about all those things. But I'm talking about information that has no life triggers, has no external source, has no evidence, meaning you can't say, oh yeah, that's an old Bing Crosby song. Like you can't. Something else. I went into more detail with my mother about what I experienced a few days ago. She made some other comment about a celebrity or some medium on TV or someone talking about 
experiencing internal hearing of voices and music and, and information. And she was maybe, you know, sort of prompting me to explain the phenomena to her, somewhat like I'm trying to do now. It was a different conversation. But part of our conversation was me very bluntly describing how I hear so much more than voices. The voices are a job unto themselves, cataloging them, labeling, learning to police some, reframe others, block a lot of them, suppress some, and then also to call them in, to invoke them. That's all clairaudient intuition stuff. And the work of being an intuitive, everyday kind of practice, producing. And I'm not even mentioning the rabbit hole of listening in for a client and wondering, you know, am I hearing their thoughts? Is it their guides I'm hearing? Is that considered external? Or am I receiving that information internally through the network, the psychic internet? through the records, that's a separate show. That's a, I think there might even be some of that in the automatic intuition audio programming. I hear music all the time. Orchestral, symphonies, movie scores, opera in multiple languages, Italian, French, German, I hear musicals in English. I don't even like musicals. I don't consume musicals, but there are some that play in my brain that no one else has ever even heard. Not external music that exists somewhere in the world. Imagined music received from like another dimension, it seems. Just to give you an example... I hear songs from a German children's show. And I sing these to my cats just to be silly because I actually think it's sort of funny and annoying like the way Teletubbies are funny and annoying. And haunting. (laughs) I hear advertising jingles for products that just don't even remotely exist. I hear pop songs, you know, um, country music songs, singers' voices that are identifiable to me. Like, you know, I don't know who they are. I don't have names for them, but I recognize the voices. But I can't tell you if they're actual real people somewhere. Like, maybe they're somewhere on the other side of the country and there really is this person who's singing all these songs and maybe I'm picking up on them somehow. Or they're coming from an alternate reality or they're coming from some deep well of my imagination that I can't even explain. But let's just call all of that my psychic Spotify account. I have songs and lyrics and all those snatches of the kinds of things that you end up humming, but they just don't exist in this world that I'm aware of. And I'm used to it. Um, I catch myself singing a rock song from a band that's never existed. A song that I've been singing for years. 
And if I think about it really hard, sometimes I can even identify when it came through internally on this internal station. Like, wow, you know what? That's been in my internal station now since I was in college or something. And a lot of the songs that I did write when I was in college and when I was in a band and sort of writing music, um, I did attempt to pull from those. And so that even further solidified them because then they became something external. And I still sing them as if they're real songs because they are now. The commercial jingles, though, are interesting because they will last for months. And it seems like they have a shelf life that's very similar to real commercial runs. You know, like they'll run for several weeks or several months and then kind of fade away and you don't hear them again. I hear old black and white movie songs that sound like maybe they're from the 30s when almost everything on the radio came from a movie. Like pop music back then was kind of like MTV in reverse. And that's why you hear all these people with less than stellar voices from back then. And you think like, why was that such a huge hit? Like this person can barely carry a tune. It's just an ordinary voice. And a lot of times they were actors who sang a song in a film and, you know, Hollywood movies, even that weren't really considered full blown musicals, even though there were a lot of them would sometimes have some kind of song built into them. Seth and I share earwigs and the phenomenon of song synchronicities, especially things that are chosen by shuffle, either in your iTunes library or now it's even bigger and more vast with Spotify and Pandora and stuff like that. Um, we call that the ghost in the machine. And we will ha- we have an ongoing kind of conversation about that and we can always add to it and share little moments as they happen. And I messaged him the other day that my earwig of the day was Cher's cover of Journey's Open Arms. And Cher has never covered that song that I know of, but she should because I heard it very clearly for about 36 hours and I was thinking, this is a great Cher cover. (laughs) And I heard it in my mind as if, you know, Cher has recorded Journey's Open Arms and I got it stuck in my brain. I hear mashups a lot too. I kind of think that probably people who make mashups obviously experience this phenomenon. But I was wondering out loud to my mother, if I had been trained to play piano at a really early age, would I be able to sit down and write all this music? I can pick pick out a simple melody on a guitar or a piano and I can read sheet music. I play a few different instruments here and there throughout different parts of my life, but I don't know how to write all the different instruments in a symphony or in an orchestra. Even though I can hear them, I don't understand that process that someone goes through to compose something like that. You know, it's something you have to be trained in, and it's something people dedicate their whole lives to. It's a little late for me to be doing that. But sometimes I'll daydream about what it would be like to do that. And I'll think, you know, maybe I'm really a musician, and I just didn't execute my creativity in that form. Or I chose from multiple creative formats to work within, and certain mediums stuck with me more than others. 
I mean, I have been in bands. I've written a lot of songs. I even have a songwriting credit for a band in Nashville from when I was 17. It's technically the second thing I ever published like that I have an actual copyright for. It was called The Girl with the Orange Hair. I forgot about that. I can't even remember the name of the band, but I, I, I know the name of the singer. I could probably find out. When I wrote songs in college, though, I didn't write lyrics, weirdly. I only wrote music, usually guitar, bass. I programmed percussion and synthesizer. I love playing with drum machines. Um, and that's a kind of composing that technology makes it very easy for you to do. Um, it's kind of tedious, but it's super satisfying. And I could never be someone who's really super into computer games or video games because I get the same kind of satisfaction, I think, from playing with um, tech like uh, sound recording equipment and mixing and also sometimes things like Illustrator, Photoshop, stuff like that. I can um, get lost in those in a way that I think is similar to what people experience with gaming. Um, And then I just, you know what, after all these daydreams, I I realize I don't have time (laughs) for any of that. It would be fun. I have to-do list of other projects and I will never finish all of those as it is the ones that I know I can execute so I'd need a whole other lifetime for that whole world of music and the idea of of composing here doing this what you're listening to it's like I found a space between music and books storytelling narrative nonfiction, audiobook narration podcasting it's an interesting thing that emerged within my lifetime along with technology that I would not necessarily have been able to predict. Um, but I do weirdly have a short story that I wrote in 1989 about someone who was podcasting from their house. And at the time it was written kind of as magical realism more than, say, science fiction. Like, I wasn't writing in detail about a technology that I foresaw. I kind of just didn't really explain the technology, but I explained the the sort of profession of, you know, someone being a shut-in and living in a room um, very much like this room right now. Oh, my God, I've got sound tiles and sound dampening blankets hanging over the windows and it's this cave of 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 dead space uh that i'm broadcasting from within right and for whatever it wasn't a major part of the story it was just kind of like the character in that story um it was about agoraphobia i guess you know somebody who was suffering from that but that was his profession weird all of that happened before i became I shut in myself, you know, uh, when I had a stroke and I started doing all this kind of work because I didn't want to leave my house. Interesting. Okay, weird. Little circles within circles. 
But I do wonder, you know, if other people experience this, what I'm talking about, more than we talk about it. Maybe as I'm describing this, you recognize it in, or you're beginning to notice it. Or maybe after listening to this episode, you will start to realize, oh my God, that's happening to me too. You know? Is it something like intuition that everyone has access to if they just don't repress it? How is it useful? I don't know that it is useful. But I do feel engaging it is part of connecting in a general way. Practicing, honing the connection, allowing it for me and maybe for you too. What are the earwigs trying to tell you? And yes, of course, that's one useful thing that you can do with all this. But maybe it's more basic than that. You hear the muffled snatch of a song and you say, hey, turn that up. If you tune in, acknowledge this is happening, allow it, give it permission. If you let yourself listen... And if you turn it up, what else do you hear? Thanks for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message in answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. With the initial creative momentum on your new project, you may be feeling the burden of all this extra work and responsibility and feel like it's all on you to maintain everything. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Identify the things you enjoy doing the most and prioritize those over the things that aren't your strength, that don't bring you joy, or that you may need help with. Even if you can't delegate everything you want to right away, Putting it down on paper will help keep you focused on the bigger picture of what you're creating and why you're doing it at all. And then be vigilant for opportunities to ask others, hey, you want to help me with something? You may be surprised what others are willing to do for you and with you as collaborators for their own joy and sense of purpose. And I'll talk to you later.